Professors FM. Doug, as you know, we have joined the Professors FM podcast network. So it's extremely exciting. It's like for the first time in my life, I'm going to have academic friends. This is big. And as part of this, we're going to talk about some of the other shows on the network. One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of sports analytics is the role of incentives, right? It's all about incentives. And so one of the other shows on the network is called Taxes for the Masses, brought to you by Lisa DeSimone from the University of Texas and Bridget Stomberg from Indiana University. And so what these two ladies do is they dive into all things taxes. I think it's a great compliment to what we do. In some ways, there's nothing bigger in public policy than taxes in terms of shaping the economy and society because taxes change how people behave. So, you know, give it a listen. Great show. Fanalytics with Mike Lewis. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to the Fanalytics podcast uh, brought to you from the Emory Marketing Analytics Center. Uh, you are, well, you, you're being spoken to by Mike Lewis, professor of marketing and Doug Battle. Uh, Doug, sort of a, a jack of all trades, kind of extraordinary at multiple things. How are you, Doug? Not a professor. Um, I'm doing well, Mike. Obviously coming off another great football weekend. Last week on the podcast, App State was all I could talk about. And I'm going to have a hard time shutting up about them this week. Did something happen with them this week, Doug? <laughs> um, so, God's game day, first off. I talked all about their fan base and how incredibly bonkers they are. And then it was like, sometimes it feels like the sports gods just will things to happen. The biggest game they've ever hosted and the biggest spotlight they've ever been in. Game comes down, of course, to a Hail Mary. And, of course, it ends up being a completion. And, of course, they storm the field. And the quarterback's helping young ladies down onto the field. It was a beautiful thing. It felt like March Madness this whole season. And every week this season, App State, they feel like this year's Cinderella. But we don't usually get that in football. Usually that's just a college basketball thing. This year, so far, it has been in college football. And App State... Even when they were losing in week one, it was very exciting. They're the most fun team to watch and have been the first three weeks of the season just because they get into these crazy situations and crazy things just keep happening and they have such a crazy fan base. If you don't even like football, if you just like people watching, turn on an App State game and watch what's going down because it is always entertaining, Mike. Okay, I'm not following App State as closely as you are. (laughs) I think I saw something where... They have a pond on campus and the fans were jumping into the pond. They, I mean, they, anything you can think of probably happened. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what, Doug? I mean, it, it's a great, it's a great story and it's, it's definitely in our wheelhouse in terms of fandom, right? I mean, it's, a, it's, it, I don't know. Do you know how many people live in Boone, North Carolina? I don't, but it, I would imagine 50% were on campus for the game, if not <laughs> I mean, more. And so you you think about an institution like Appalachian State and, you know, every college out there wants to, you know, they want to have the Emory Nation or the Dog Nation or the Illini Nation, right? Everyone wants to come together as a community. And sports is the best way. And, oh, God, I mean, the the academics are going to come for me as I say this. Sports are the best way to do it, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, sports are the thing that – College sports are one of the few kind of unifying things that still exist on campus. And so if you are an App State Mountaineer, you know, you're going to wear that merch proudly. You're, you're all in. You're all celebrating together. These kids are going to remember the beginning of this season for the rest of their lives. It is a point of connection that is almost, and you know, maybe there's, you know, who knows? If you live in the city, maybe you're kind of annoyed by some of this, the celebrating at this point. But it, it is something that has completely brought that campus together. I think they're completely embracing it, and it is something that absolutely builds community. And so it's it's an amazing story. It's a it's a positive, it's a perfect story. It's a perfect story. And just as someone who experienced college football and the excitement of seeing your team rise to prominence, rise to that national spotlight. And to this day for me, I still, if I meet Georgia grads and they'll say, oh, I was there when Herschel Walker was there. And I'll say, oh, I was there for 
the Rose Bowl and for the Notre Dame game, all those classic games that brought everyone together that everyone can connect over. And I think it's no different. I know that this, it, you know, it's it's on a different level. It's a, It's kind of to scale, though, with Appalachian State, where I think 50 years from now, the people who were there who were students for the Michigan upset will be talking to the people who were there for the Texas A&M upset and the Hail Mary with Chase Bryce. And I got to add one thing, Mike. We've talked a lot about the negatives that can come from the transfer portal. How about a school like Appalachian State getting a guy in Chase Bryce at quarterback who was once recruited by Georgia? He was recruited by Clemson. He played some for Clemson. And his best opportunity to play a lot ended up being at Appalachian State. And he's been, you know, as much as that might seem like for a guy who once could have thought maybe I'll be the starting quarterback for the number one team in the country, he's had an incredible experience. He is like a deity in Appalachian State. Seeing some of those college game day signs, the girls are saying, Chase Bryce, marry me, watching him celebrate that big time throw and run on you know as everyone runs onto the field a guy who may have been forgotten in a school or in a town like clemson in a town like athens georgia he gets to be the guy he is the hero he's going to be an all-time great in boone north carolina i would imagine his nil worth is probably better in boone right now than it would be if he were backing up dj uyungle in clemson and so it's just a really interesting evolution of football to see one of the positives that can come from nil from the transfer portal yeah you're i mean you're completely spot on it's uh the transfer portal is going to look from from our perspective look I, look if you're a college football coach the transfer por- portal drives you up a wall right <laughs> you are you are now recruiting athletes on a one you know on a one-year basis if you are uh, someone that works at the leagues and you're concerned about competitive balance, though I don't know how concerned about competitive balance they really are in college yeah. football. It seems to work out for them. You know, when Alabama and Georgia are completely dominant, it, it seems to work out for them anyways. Uh, but, you know, the transfer portal is just, it's a story maker. It's a narrative maker. I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting. One of the things that college football is doing this year is one of their advertising campaigns is talking about stories and they're talking about how miracles sometimes happen. And it, 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 it's a good way for them to think about sports is this, this story generation process. This kid, you know, being recruited by the, the top schools in the SEC, ending up in Boone, North Carolina, and then, the, and then suddenly the college football gods smile down on them. They are the – look, they have won the early part of the season without, yeah. without question, right? And, and so this is a – like I said, it's a, it's, a, it's a story generator. It's a narrative maker. And it is the key thing on that campus at this moment, right? It is the unifier. And I'll, I'll sort of keep using that word because I think that's something that has a tendency to get lost these days. Sports is one of the final unifiers for cities, for colleges. And so it is something that is, you know, we're, we're sort of tongue in cheek. We're about analytics and numbers, but there is something really important about the role that sports plays on these institu- at these institutions. Absolutely. And I also would imagine for Appalachian State, for their football program, having such prominence at this point in time has to help with recruiting, not only for football, right, but also for students. And we've seen that. I mean, I grew up in Alabama, and when Alabama rose under Nick Saban to national prominence, to dynasty level, all of a sudden uh, the ACT scores were going up uh, because they had such demand, so many students wanting to come and be a part of that. And I would imagine App State is just now on the radar for a lot of not just student athletes, but also students um, in the area and surrounding areas who all of a sudden are saying, hey, that looks like a fun time. I could see myself going there. It's interesting, Mike, how sports do that for universities. Boone, North Carolina has a population of 19,000, Doug. So this is oh the, my gosh. In the city that might have a McDonald's. It might have a, you know, a Zaxby's. But they are the center, you know. But they had college game. They had college game day, right? It's uh, it, you know, it, it hits that word that that magic that sports you know can provide. Yeah, and I love it. I saw. I I wish I remember who tweeted this, but I saw a tweet saying 
You know, how about we start giving college game day to schools like this and not just Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State every three weeks? Um, because there was a special energy. You could tell how special it was to this student body, to this community. And they brought that energy. And out of it came Magic Mike. And I don't know how, not Magic Mike, but Magic, comma Mike, um, just to be clear, Ch- Channing Tatum did not show up. <laughs> um, it, I don't know if this would have if that game would have ended the way that it did had there not been that magic in the air. I know that sounds insane, but like I said, it's like March Madness where it's almost inevitable that App State was going to pull off something crazy. There's no way the the sports gods were going to let App State die and a shameful death on national TV after all the the excitement in that city that day. It was inevitable and I, I will never stop watching that. I think that's one of the great plays in college football history. I don't think, you know, I don't think it's just going to be shown on video boards in Boone, North Carolina. I think when they're showing the bands on the field and all these crazy plays from college football, that one makes the list. App State, their students, their fans, they have so much pride in that team and that community right now. And I will be continuing to watch them throughout the season mostly because I like watching their fans and how they experience football and, and the joy that they take in it. Okay, well, you know, we may as well, we may as well stay with the, the theme of college football to get things going. You know, I, I, and I don't know, you know, Doug, it's like uh, I, I watched a bunch of college football. Um, we are at the point, to me, though, where a lot of it's kind of, I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of it kind of blends together then after watching a bunch of football on, mm-hmm. on Sunday. Uh, you know, I, maybe the game I was most enthralled by on, and I think you do a better job of this and sort of keeping all the details straight. The, the game I was most enthralled by was the Notre Dame game. And mm-hmm. I'm watching this thinking, wow, is Notre Dame going to go, you know, start out 0-3 and the coach is going to start out 0-4 and, and, you know, again, this is so much because I think in terms of these these narratives and the effects on the, the brands, is Notre Dame, is this a recoverable situation for the Fighting Irish at this point? I feel like that Hail Mary in that ballgame, I don't know if you saw it, Mike, I feel like that Hail Mary probably had better odds of being completed than the App State Hail Mary. Magic aside, if College Game Day had been you know, on the side of Notre Dame's opponent or even in the building for Notre Dame, they were quite fortunate. I think that head coach knows it to come out of there with a win and and avoid embarrassment for the second following week, second straight week. Is it a recoverable situation? I don't think so. Things are so bleak in Notre Dame right now. You know, having gone to that stadium and, and been part of taking it over on behalf of the Georgia fan base, having seen other schools, I think it was Nebraska, um, it seems as though anyone that comes in there can kind of own the own the building, own the atmosphere. There's a there's this perception of Notre Dame's dominance and their fandom that doesn't quite agree with the reality of the situation, which is that is a suffering football. I was going to say franchise, but program. Um, it feels like a franchise because it's been around for so so long, and they need dominance. They need excellence to pull things back together to become what they once were. I still could see a situation where they become like Alabama did, where they had Bear Bryant and then they had a long phase of not winning championships and they bring in the right coach and they become dominant again. That brand is still there. The history is still there. There's still a lot of people affiliated with Notre Dame across the country. It's still, they still attract top recruits, even with their failures. How much more would they do so if they were dominant, had they gotten a Lincoln Riley and a Caleb Williams, that type of situation is what they need, what USC's had going this year. And so okay. but Doug, I don't think under this staff, though, I don't think under this coaching staff. Why didn't they do that? You know, why didn't Notre Dame approach it? Like, why doesn't Notre Dame approach it? OK, you know, let, let, let's be business people for a second. I don't feel like Notre Dame approached it like it was a serious matter. You know, it, it's almost like, is there an arrogance there that we are the top brand in college football? we can sort of make things happen. Whereas a a USC went out and got a guy from Oklahoma who brought key talented people. Uh, You know, it's almost, I mean, look, I I don't know who the decision makers are. And, and, you know, you always, I think I always want to be careful when criticizing the decision makers. 
But if I'm a Notre Dame fan, and, and I'll, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not convinced that there exist Notre Dame fans that are on par with the Alabama and the Georgia and the Clemson fans in terms of the level of intensity. I feel like at Notre Dame, it's almost more of a hobby to go out there. Whereas for some of the folks in the SEC, it is an absolute passion. And that's almost reflected in, in how they approach this thing. Yeah, little religious parallel here. <laughs> I won't use specifics, but if you ever meet someone from certain religions and they say, oh, it's just a family thing. Like, I don't actually go to service and I don't serve in any capacity or I'm not involved. I don't necessarily practice, but it's what I identify as. I see that in, a, in different religious communities more often than others. And then we all know that, uh, you know, the Georgia and Alabamas of the world would be like the religious zealots. They're out on the streets with the megaphones. <laughs> Those are their football fans. I think oh, of Notre yeah. Dame. And stomping their feet. Yeah, They're stomping their feet. They're going on missions trips. <laughs> and so yeah. Notre Dame, to me, a lot of that fan base, I think, has been a little bit more subtle where it's like, yeah, it's a family thing. You know, my dad pulled for them. And so that's who I identify. And I wear the hat. And, you know, it's it's my team, but I don't necessarily watch them every week. It's it's a less religious fan okay. base. It's it's a <laughs> it's fake fandom at this point, right? I don't, you know, it's almost like, yeah, I'm a Notre Dame fan. I don't know who the coach is. I don't know who the quarterback is, but that's who <laughs> All I right. got a t-shirt, right? I mean, and look, that that's a very real, that's a real phenomena in sports. Um, and, and again, I'm not, there's really no criticism intended here. It's like, has Notre Dame fallen to that kind of, you know, have they lost the passion and just become kind of this, this shell, um, and, you know, it, it seems likely to, I mean, look, is it recoverable? Probably. Right. Yeah. Does it seem like it's going to happen? Is it going to be difficult to recover? You know, because I always think in some ways, Doug, I think regionally. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't think it's any coincidence that Alabama sort of rose to extreme prominence and Georgia rose to extreme prominence at the same time, like that Florida kind of fell on hard times. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think there's only so much oxygen and talent in any of these regions. And Notre Dame would have to sort of take Ohio State off the pedestal in the Big Ten. Yeah. I don't know that that's going to happen. No, Ryan Day's got a well-oiled machine in Ohio State, Columbus. That's a tough one. That's a tough one for Notre Dame. And getting back to the Marcus Freeman hire, to me, if you're if you're Notre Dame, you've got to look at it and say, is this a guy with his resume, with his experience, are we biased to him? Or is this a guy that a school like USC, a school like Oklahoma would want to pursue? And I don't think any, I don't think, you know, if, as a as a Georgia alum, if Georgia had a coaching vacancy, I would have been horrified if they went after this guy, this young guy with not a lot of experience, not a lot of, but it's like at Notre Dame, there was kind of this bias toward him because, well, the players like him and, yeah, you're, you're that's who they end up with. I, I feel like they probably could have had a shot at Lincoln Riley or you, someone remember, at that level. Uh, do you ever heard of a guy named Jerry Faust? Yeah. So this was a coach that Notre Dame hired back in the day from a high school. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think this has always been part of, again, you know, almost the arrogance of the Notre Dame football institution that they think they can, they can, they can sort of just do whatever they want and it will work um by the way and this is sort of a a little bit of a, a jump did you watch any of nebraska oklahoma i did not okay I, other than highlight i mean i did see the highlights i saw uh nebraska struck early and then that there was were signs for urban meyer to come coach at nebraska i have heard the murmurs i have a, a good friend who's a nebraska fan and I was I was actually hanging out with him yesterday on Sunday, and he goes yes, and I was like what what is it you know did your fantasy team score you know your quarterback or something he said no that he got a notification from Bleacher Report or something it was just an article saying you know what if Urban Meyer goes to Nebraska and so he was I thought you were going for the Urban Meyer has been spotted in Lincoln (laughs) (laughs) there's an airplane that's been tracked from Florida to Nebraska from the same zip code as. Urban Meyer. No, it wasn't one of those situations, but I think that fan base, they're looking for hope. They need something like that. I feel like Mike, you and I know it's probably going to be a disappointment for them. It's going to be an underwhelming hire if that's what your expectation is. But 
you never know. You never know. You know what? If I'm Nebraska, that's what I'm. If I'm Nebraska, and that's a possibility, given how that brand has fallen from the '80s, right? From Tom Osborne, Tom Osborne Field, right? Given what has happened there, if I can get, if I can talk Urban Meyer into coming out of retirement, leaving the broadcast booth, I'm actually going to do it because that is a brand on life support. And Urban Meyer has proven that he can win at the college level. Absolutely, he has. And I think I think it's a no-brainer for a school like Nebraska. I think the issue is a guy like Urban Meyer who stepped away from Florida, who stepped away from Ohio State, is he really going to step into that situation? I've been thinking, you know, George has got an offensive coordinator. I think he's the best in the country. I think he's due for a head coaching gig. And there's been some speculation amongst the Georgia fan bases. Oh, no, what if we lose our OC in the middle of the season? What if he goes to Nebraska? Well, I, I mean, for me, there's a piece about that because, like, who would want to go to Nebraska? I mean, if I'm him, I'm holding out for a much better situation than that. Uh, of course, you know, you can only lose. I guess Nebraska is a situation where they have nothing to lose. They, they're at the bottom. They can't go down much further than they are, so they can only go up. There's not a lot of pressure there than if, let's say, you were to take over at Alabama for Nick Saban and the enormous pressure that's going to come with that job inevitably when it happens. Um but you know, I don't know that a guy. I don't know that the top candidates are going to be attracted to Nebraska when they are. You know, last year USC was a great situation for Lincoln Riley. Um, there's every year there's situations like that that open up, and you know, I, I would imagine Urban Meyer, if he wanted to get back into college coaching, could probably find a better situation than Nebraska. Well, you know, and and look, maybe it's this kind of redemption arc, right, where uh, Urban Meyer has damaged his reputation. I don't know how toxic he is to you know to most organizations what kind of colleges are not going to touch a urban meyer at this point uh nebraska is clearly one of those the brand has been shattered frankly at the on the, on the recruit and the talent side of this but i suspect that that nebraska fan base you know we we're just talking about notre dame i suspect that nebraska fan base has passion that far exceeds that notre dame fan base that all it would take was sort of getting on a roll and those nebraska folks would be traveling cross cross country to see you know they they would be driving to rutgers to see the cornhuskers put a 40 point beating down on the scarlet knights if they could get that to happen i so I mean, there, there, there's some hope there. I think they're 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 a Big Ten school, so they're resourced. Um, you know, it was always the joke that uh, the third largest city in Nebraska is Nebraska Stadium when there's a home game. So it's you know there there are assets there, and it's not it, it's sort of the opposite of Notre Dame, right? There's the the core strength with the luster faded versus you know something that has this like glamorous brand, but maybe not a lot of core strength in terms of the fan base. Yeah, absolutely. So it's certainly something to keep an eye on in college sports. And I think that wraps up our college discussion okay. for today. Okay, so, let's get to the NFL, Doug. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Unless, NFL. And we, we got some current events that are relevant to the world of fandom, but let's let's get into the NFL. Um, well, you know, I've, I've got my list of my major stories, but, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll let you sort of roll into this. Give me your observations. Uh, mine are always going to be a little bit off, right? Because I'm, I'm almost looking at this stuff from a little bit of a different perspective. But I've definitely got some highlights as well. Well, I think that's what we're here for, though, Mike. It is the Fanalytics with Mike Lewis podcast. So we're here for your unique perspective or takes on, you know, coming from your background and your perspective on sports in the NFL but for me week week two um, of the NFL the two biggest storylines to me were in the same football game and that was Tua Tungavailoa absolutely lighting it up absolutely being clutch absolutely being everything that the Miami Dolphins drafted him to be coming off an offseason of memeable criticism all over the internet videos um, tweets just he, he's been under fire by NFL fans in general and those people are starting to to be a little bit quiet yesterday when Tua did the unthinkable and led an enormous comeback in Baltimore against the Ravens with I believe six touchdowns and one of them being the game-winning touchdown with about 10 seconds left so Tua talking of Iloa but on the flip side of that Lamar Jackson he played a phenomenal game he's on my fantasy team he had about 40 points at halftime of the game just throwing darts over the middle, 
uh, running all over the place. He doesn't look as fast to me, Mike, as he did a few years back. And so that kind of gets back to what we've talked about with these running quarterbacks where it's like they they do seem to, you know, they wear down a little bit quicker. But nevertheless, he scored the longest rushing touchdown of his career on Sunday. And he looked great. Everybody watching the game that's a Ravens fan was saying, we need to pay him. We need to pay him now. Not wait till after the season. We can't take a chance on losing him. I think that's the fan base's perspective. And I think at this point, it's the fan base against management in Baltimore. And Lamar Jackson is beloved by the fan base. Agreed. That was, uh, okay, my my first note on, uh, look, that's on my top five list. Yeah. I, I didn't know these things. My note there was this is the easiest game to overreact to, though. Because you are dead on. It is, we've gone from Tua being this questionable starter in Miami to, you know, he's elite. He's the MVP. And Lamar Jackson, I have, you know, looking at the data, I'm not a particular fan of Lamar Jackson, but I'm going to say, you know, if there's anyone that, I almost get the sense that Jackson exists outside of analytics, that he is a, different kind of talent and the numbers may not really make a lot of sense. And, and I, I don't remember if I said it to you last week or maybe we, we talked some about it. The fact that he is going to look, he may, he may be fundamentally changing the quarterback market again. I mean, the, the quarterback market changed with Kirk cousins, mm-hmm. Lamar Jackson. And again, He's negotiating his own deal, Doug. I mean, we got to, <laughs> that strikes me as crazy given the number of dollars involved. But the reality is, if he doesn't get hurt and he continues to play like this, he's going to set a new standard for quarterback pay. Maybe he's going to change, you know, we've, we've gotten into the system where quarterbacks, you know, they get their money a little bit early. They don't become free agents. Uh, you know they get the guaranteed deal, so they're 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 trading a little bit of money for this this safety and security of the guaranteed dollars. Lamar Jackson may be saying, you know what, we're going open market, and I could have got fifty million, but we go to the open market, crazy things are going to happen, and he's going to he's going to get sixty seventy million dollars a year, Doug, guaranteed for five years. Well, with the That's teams that. I mean, I was telling you yesterday, Mike, watching the Giants play and Daniel Jones have another kind of iffy game where at times he looks like he could be the guy and at times like he's just not turning the corner. As a Giants fan, if the Giants were to throw around that kind of money to Lamar Jackson, I wouldn't really blame him. I'm like you. I tend to look at things from a more analytical. It's like, hey, do we want to spend, do we want to double down on a guy who's probably athletically declining as far as his running ability um, and he's traditionally a a dual threat quarterback not a pocket passer it's kind of like investing that kind of money into michael vick around the time he was going to the eagles was would he have been worth that i don't know um he was still a really solid quarterback but and he keeps you competitive but for a team like the giants that hasn't won a playoff game in over a decade doesn't have a quarterback doesn't love the draft class coming up doesn't have as high a pick as they'd want you have to take a guy like Lamar Jackson and say, you know what, this is our best, this is our only shot at getting a quarterback that can lead us to the playoffs, that can lead us to playoff wins. And the Giants aren't the only team in that situation. Baltimore very well could be in that situation. And a handful of other teams, we look at, I mean, San Francisco 49ers, and I'm sure this is one of your storylines, Mike, but Trey Lance going down, Jimmy G coming in and winning. Um, we don't know what's going to become a Trey Lance. We don't know. You can go across the league and just about every division, there's a team that could use Lamar Jackson or that at least is kind of in a, a desperate situation where it's like, we have no choice. We're either going to be the number one pick every year or we can have a, sh- you know, with Jackson, there's a shot at least if he stays healthy of him playing at an MVP level. And we saw that on Sunday. So it, he's an interesting player and he always has been. He's always been an anomaly. There's a reason he fell in the draft. I think there were probably some analytics that people were looking at much like you and I are now saying, Hey, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if this is smart. And so he fell and then it's worked. So he's always been an anomaly and it continues to be that way where we look at him and say, Hey, I don't know if it's a good idea to pay him that money. And then he goes out and performs in a way where it's like, I don't know if it's a good idea to not pay him that money. That's Lamar Jackson. That's been his career thus far. He's a very, very fascinating player to follow. Someone's going to pay him. 
And and so, I think yeah, you're yes. dead on. I mean, I mean someone you know, paid um, Kirk Cousins. Someone's going to pay Lamar Jackson. Yeah, and someone's going to pay much more for Lamar Jackson. And again, now, even though, look, you know, in some ways, Doug, I'm playing fantasy football against the league because I've done these these forecasts of the league, and I'm not going to, I'm not even going to compute the who's winning me, the ESPN or the NFL.com for another week or two, just because it's mm-hmm. just it's just noise at, at this point. It's too early. But, you know, he's, it, it's going to happen because you go division, like you said, division by division, there's a team out there that's going to pay. if he, And so if Jackson gets it back together, becomes an MVP level quarterback again, he's going to break the bank. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you, you look at what's happening this year. You know, think about these teams that thought they were Super Bowl ready and they went out and they got the old quarterback, the Matt Ryans and the, you know, yeah. the Denver Broncos. Hasn't worked out so far. Aren't they going to, you know, or, or how about the Panthers trying to resurrect, you know, Baker Mayfield's career? You know, half the league might be chasing this guy. And, and the other thing that's kind of working out for Jackson is that AFC North looks like it might be a bit of a disaster. And so we've had this discussion of, you know, who's the, you know, you know, who's, where's the talent, you know, the, at one point it looked like, Oh my, this might be Joe Burrow, you know, coming, you know, off of, off a Super Bowl, Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. uh, Lamar Jackson, you know, Ben Roethlisberger last year. And now that division looks like it may be totally in, in shambles that a division in shambles gets the Ravens maybe one or two more wins than maybe they should have. And, and suddenly you're talking about a team going that, you know, I had them, I think at you know, eight wins that gets you to 10 wins, 11 wins. And again, if he's, if he's playing like the old, uh, like the old, um, you know, like what he was two, three years ago. Yeah. The best. And again, for me, he's the best early season story for, and then you had, like I said, negotiating your own contract. Love this story. Love it. And I like that you touched on the wins, Mike, because we both know wins are attributed to quarterbacks probably more than they should be. Uh, A quarterback that plays with a great... Eli Manning, for example, he played on a team that won a Super Bowl largely because of the defensive performance. He came through in those games, but after that, he got a record-setting contract as the quarterback. Michael Strahan didn't get a record-setting contract. Eli Manning got a record-setting contract. We saw that with Joe Flacco winning a Super Bowl with Ray Lewis. And so Lamar Jackson being in a division, it's like as it doesn't matter if the Bengals are last year's Bengals or the 0-2 Bengals of this year. If the Steelers are the Ben Roethlisberger Super Bowl borderline dynasty Steelers or the Mitch Trubisky the seven Steelers. and nine Mitch Trubisky Steelers. <laughs> yeah, the seven and nine Mitch Trubisky Steelers. The Browns could have had Deshaun Watson for the whole season or not. Doesn't matter if the wins add up for the Baltimore Ravens, and if they win the division, which I think they're why not? I mean, they absolutely have a probably better shot than anybody right now at doing that. Um, Lamar Jackson's the winner. He's the one that gets paid for that. So it is pretty savvy of him to look at the situation. Of course, the one thing, there's a little bit of a risk management issue where injury is something that could come into play, and he's got to stay healthy. He wasn't healthy all of last year. He hasn't been healthy throughout his career. Um, and, And so that's the big risk to me. But looking at the situation, he could get overvalued due to the fact that his team is in a great position with their division. The league is not in a great position with quarterbacks as far as half the league's teams are pretty desperate for a quarterback and feel like they need a guy and they're willing to shell out money for a guy who put him over the top. So I think he's being savvy in that way. I also think he's taking a huge risk as far as his own injury when he could be cashing out. Now, um, regardless of injury, he's saying, hey, I'm going to just roll the dice, hope that I'm healthy, hope that I don't have a Trey Lance situation, which could completely, completely ruin things for him. And... uh you know, he's either going to win big or lose big. There's, there's no way around. You know, I don't, I don't see any other outcome. I think he's going to win big. I think he's like one of those guys that the guy, the football gods are smiling. <laughs> he just um, always wins big. Okay. Next game, Chiefs Chargers. Okay, Doug. I love the AFC West. Might be my favorite division uh, this year because you know preseason looked like there were a lot of great storylines. And is definitely delivering. Um, you got some guys struggling. Uh, Herbert, 
I think Herbert's, you know, it, it, it's kind of, we're always looking for that next quarterback. And I think Herbert might be the guy, right? It, it's like, yep. it, it's like Mahomes isn't that old. And we've already gone to Josh Allen and now we're looking for the guy after that. But that was spectacular. And I'll even, and the other thing that, you know, is important about that game is that was the game that you had to pay for a streaming service to watch. Right. And suddenly, you know, you got to have Amazon prime. If you're going to watch these Thursday night games you know, there was a little bit of controversy and talk about that. Uh, you know, is this a bad move by the NFL? And again, you know, one of my adages is the NFL always wins. I don't think it costs the NFL anything. Um, and in fact, you know, may, maybe, you know, Jeff Bezos put a lot of money out there. He, you know, bought some rights to some, um, some old book about some rings and some, you know, orcs and some wizards. And he put some money into the NFL. And it looks like one of those is going to pay off beautifully. Right? One of those. One of those is the key <laughs> there. The show about the orcs and the rings that aren't part of the show yet hasn't done it for me so far. But Thursday Night Football absolutely did. Justin Herbert. I said it last week. He's probably my favorite quarterback in the league. I, I love watching him play. He showed a lot of toughness on Thursday night. His team did not yeah. come through with the win. Uh, it was kind of that, you know, reminded me. Completely legit, right? You yeah. know, that was, that was a completely legit battle. It was, not, it was not, you know, Mahomes at a different level than Herbert. That was, that was, a, that was a fist fight. And, the one, and there's going to be many, many of those looking forward. Yeah, and I hope to see the Chargers build the kind of team that the Chiefs have had, where it's not just Mahomes, but he's had great playmakers around him. He's had solid defenses, great offensive coordinator, great defensive coordinators. Um, Herbert feels like a one-man show a lot of the time. and but But the Chargers were really competitive with the Chiefs, and they're starting to turn that corner, and it looks like they're building around him well. He's got to stay healthy. Obviously, he took some huge hits on Thursday night. And uh, but to me, also that allowed him to kind of showcase one of his great qualities, which is the fact that he's tough as nails. He will he will throw through the hits. He will get up after being hit and throw it again and, and stick it in there. Like yeah, he reminds me of Matt Stafford early in his career. He always had that quality about him. For some reason, though, uh, you know Herbert's a more efficient passer than a Matt Stafford was and is. And so Justin Herbert playing for what's thought of probably as LA's second team. But man, are they exciting? I personally enjoy watching them more than I like watching the Super Bowl champion Rams, who, by the way, are off to a really, really rough start this year. But to me, the Chargers are a far more interesting storyline moving forward. I think you're right. And having that young superstar quarterback, you know, the the, the Rams have a lot of advantages in terms of battle for LA, but I would put my money on the Chargers at this point, especially wow. if the Chargers were able to lock him up, because he's going to be he's going to be competing for titles for the next decade. Yeah, and that's and that's how this stuff gets done. Okay, Doug, some other stories, and you know we can hit some of these real quick because some of these are you know sort of things that fascinate me um, probably more than other folks. Uh, the Panthers lose to the Giants. When does the Baker Mayfield situation explode? And how does it feel for the New York football giants as a fan to be the favorite to win the NFC East all of a sudden? <laughs> it feels bizarre. I think that there's been a little overreaction with Brian Dable. I was watching a chunk of the game on Sunday and they were saying, hey, this is what happens when you have an elite head coach. All of a sudden, these situations work out for you. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, we're two games in to his entire head coaching career. We don't know that he's an elite head coach. I remember McAdoo early in his career, the Giants had a hot start and people were talking, hey, this is what happens when you have an elite head coach. And of course it didn't turn out. So time will tell with the coaching. The Giants haven't had a necessarily difficult schedule early and that will probably change. We'll see what happens. I think offensively they've struggled a lot. It's, it hasn't been that different to prior years. Daniel Jones, there was a play where, and, and you know, I've been a defender of Daniel Jones for quite some time. There was a play where Kadarius Toney was open. He didn't have anyone within 20 yards of him. And Jones had time in the pocket. And he was standing there and he's looking around like nobody was open. Ended up, I don't know if he took a sack or fumbled. Um, there are some issues in New York offensively, but they are 2 0, and the fan base is, is all fired up. They're saying, we're, we're going to win the NFC East, we're going to be in the playoffs. 
we've got this new head coach. He's elite. You know, he turned around Josh Allen. He has full responsibility for turning around Josh Allen. Um, and, and so it's it's very unique for the Giants to be in this situation. I don't know. Again, I'm not sold on the sustainability of their what on the record seems like dominance early on, but in reality, they could very easily be 0-2 to two bad teams. They just happened to basically win a coin flip in those games. Seemed like 50-50 games to me. And moving forward, the optics are that the Giants have turned it around. Doug, you I don't know over that that's the case. Point in the season, though. I mean, you, you know, <laughs> that's, it's, the Dolphins are elite. The Giants are yeah. elite. The Bengals are horrible. And yeah. Tom Brady almost quit football yesterday. Yeah, well, after starting a fight. Um, okay. <laughs> My other, uh, and I got a couple more here. The 49ers have suddenly, and again, I, you know, God, I, I hate myself for what I'm about to say. The 49ers have suddenly become a playoff contender in my book. I, I, I have mean, a feeling a, when that what happened. A, what a strange, I mean, again, you know, I've, I've got these predictions out there and I had the 49ers downgraded to a, a sub 500 team. But with that, that I, I think that's a, I think that's a four game turnaround. And so this is, the, the 49ers are a really strange story to me where an injury to get them a kind of a journeyman slightly above, again, a slightly above average quarterback that no one seemed to want. It's a strange, strange story. There's an injury. Jimmy G comes in and it's a 27 to seven victory. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, if it had happened a week earlier, I think the 49ers are two and zero right now. And I think you think the same thing because of the discussions that we've had in the past. It's not a knock on Trey Lance. Anyone listening might say, oh, they really hate Trey Lance. They're Trey Lance haters. It's not we that. We don't know Trey Lance. Yeah, we don't know. But it's the nature of young quarterbacks in this league where they're due, statistically, if you look at the recent history, they're due to cost their team a couple of games. Whereas these veteran quarterbacks. Unless they're Justin Herbert. <laughs> unless they're Justin <laughs> Herbert. There are yeah. exceptions. There are anomalies. Justin Herbert. Yeah. Is him, um, yeah. Unless they're Justin Herbert, but or or Patrick Mahomes and his first year as starter was another great example. But it's highly likely that Trey Lance and it was already looking like Trey Lance was more of a Justin Fields, more of a Trevor Lawrence, which again isn't a knock on him. Those are all talented players. But for the short term, a guy like Jimmy G is likely to win you more games. So you're giving up wins for long term investment. I think when you go to a quarterback like that, now all of a sudden it's like, hey. They might win a lot of games this year. I mean, they, that's a playoff team. Yeah. I'd be shocked if they're not in the playoffs. Okay, Doug. So uh, I'm looking at the clock here. I'm going to switch over to our, <laughs> again, you know, we're adding a visual element to this and uh, we're learning as we go. Oh, yeah. And I know where you're going our, with this. Our look ahead to the NFL and my manual workaround of how to do a <laughs> countdown. And like I said, I apologize for this, but we'll, we'll figure it out. This is ESPN level broadcast right here. That's what this is. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, two guys in their basement. Okay. Uh, I actually I don't know if Doug has a basement. I don't. Okay. Like so it. Doug, uh, week three NFL top five countdown at Number five, I've got the Bengals versus the Jets. Okay, um, I'll you know, do you want to react to this one first, or and again, this is one, this is your opportunity to also call me out for being a little silly on some of this stuff. Um, Bengals Jets. My first takeaway, or my initial reaction rather, is that the Bengals have to win this one. This is a must-win game for Cincinnati. A lot of Bengals fans after the Super Bowl. Thought they had it in the bag. Thought, hey, we'll be back next year. We're going to be competing for these every year for the next 10 years. We're going to get ours eventually. And we've seen in the NFL over the years, just because you make a Super Bowl one year doesn't mean you even make the playoffs the next year. Even with the same players, it's the NFL. There's so much more parity in the NFL than like college, for example, that you can turn around. You know, college, you lose a national championship. If you've got all your guys coming back, almost a guarantee as long as you stay healthy that you will be back. That is not the case in the NFL. We've seen the Rams off to a really bad start this year with largely the same exact team that won the Super Bowl last year. And we've seen that with the Bengals. So they're going up against a Jets team. It's coming off a win against the Browns, who are not a bad football team. I watched some of that game, and Jacoby Brissett 
he's handling things pretty well. I mean, I thought the Browns were certainly going to start off 2-0 and with him, which would position them very well, Mike, for your prediction. Um, but the Jets beat a good football team in the Cleveland Browns, and the Bengals haven't beaten anybody. And Joe Burrows looked incredibly upset. He's taken a lot of hits. They supposedly retooled their line, although it hasn't looked like it. And so must-win game for Cincinnati. If they lose this, I think the media starts to freak out a little bit. And, and I think Joe Burrow, I, I, you know, he doesn't lose his cool ever. But No, he doesn't. He doesn't lose his cool ever. He's the coolest guy ever. <laughs> but I, I think it's got to be incredibly frustrating to have the start that they've had. And statistically, starting 0-2 does not bode well for your playoff chances, much less Super Bowl. Right. And, and, you know, for me, this is a this is an interesting game in terms of the, the quarterback stories. You know, Burrow is marketing magic. Mm-hmm. The NFL, probably a few things the NFL wants more than to have Joe Burrows doing playoff press conferences with some ridiculous jewelry and you know, just just the, the most likable guy in the league. Uh, for the Jets, you know, this is an interesting quarterback story because the highly touted, highly drafted player goes down. You slot him in, you slot in this journeyman, and suddenly the team starts to win maybe a little bit more. I think that's one of the the, the biggest, maybe the biggest trap in the NFL is the journeyman that gets you to a route five, you know, that seven and nine and sort of ends up causing you to be locked in. So, you know, I, I'm loving this kind of I'm loving this kind of game in terms of how these two teams go from here. I would have okay. it higher if Zach Wilson were healthy. I would love to see a Zach Wilson versus Joe Burrow. After the offseason, absolutely. <laughs> At number four. Yes, the Monday Cowboys Night Football. Giants. Okay, my logic here, Doug, and then I'll let you react. The NFL wants this game, right? The NFL loves the fact that the Giants are 2-0. and They love the fact that the Cowboys have, uh, you know, a, a new star at quarterback, perhaps, um, you know, beating one of the Super Bowl teams. Suddenly, you've got this marquee matchup for Monday Night Football. I don't think it's actually a real marquee matchup <laughs> at, at the moment, but this is something the NFL. This is a story the NFL wants to be true. I think it's been a long time since we could even pretend that a Cowboys Giants game was relevant in the grand scheme of things. And I think we can at least pretend that right now. The last time we pretended that those two teams mattered, it was Odell Beckham Jr. out there for the Giants and Saquon and Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott for the Cowboys, these big flashy stars playing between these two NFC East classics, a classic rivalry where it used to be two of the elite teams in the NFL every year for the longest time. It felt like this game was one of the prominent matchups in professional football. And I think right now, I feel like the Giants are overrated um, as a Giants guy. Like it's There's not rankings in the NFL, but if there were, if this were college football, if there were an AP top 25, I think the Giants would be in the top 10 right now. They're 2-0. and oh. you know, they're, they're, They'd be ranked ahead of some teams that I think are probably better football teams. But we can pretend that the Giants, I mean, as it stands right now, the Giants are 2-0. and oh. The Cowboys do have this very fascinating quarterback situation. I mentioned last week that the Cowboys have a history of these guys coming in and some magic happening, whether it's Tony Romo, Dak Prescott. And so... Monday Night Football, Giants-Cowboys, two great fan bases, NFC East potentially on the line down the road. This game could be very meaningful. Um, If nothing else, it's two fan bases that hate each other. And I'm excited for it. As a Giants guy, I'm excited for it. Be, you know, starting off 3-0 and with a win over the Cowboys, that starts to legitimize things. That's when you start to say, okay, you know, we, we really might be front runners in the NFC East. Feels retro and feels like it matters. Yep. Number three, Ravens versus the Patriots. Okay, I think we already covered a bunch of this. Lamar Jackson's going to be one of the most fascinating stories in the league until he signs a contract. Um, (laughs) You know, as he continues to sort of, if he just marches through the league, the story is going to build and build and the pressure is going to ramp up and he's going to set all sorts of records. I, you know, I will always be fascinated by, you know, the Patriots with Bill Belichick, you know, he he's, he's one and one. Um, 
looked pretty good against the Steelers in, in some ways. Looks like, you know, Mac Jones over Mitchell Trubisky. I'm oh, yeah. going to attribute that to the, you know, to the coaching, to that, to that guidance. So, you know, this is one of these very kind of interesting games because, they, you know, again, Patriots aren't getting any hype at this point in that AFC East. And it's hard for me to imagine that they're not the Belichick with a second year, first round draft pick at quarterback, that he's not going to figure out a way to become relevant to that whole, to that whole competitive situation. Yeah. The Patriots have a way of doing that. Mac Jones has certainly been everything they've hoped. Of course, what was he? I think a minus one on your uh, QB wins metric last year. But he's looking like maybe he'll turn the corner this year. He had a pretty good performance against Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh didn't look great yesterday offensively. In Mike's words, Mike used the term prevent offense to describe their (laughs) offense with Mitchell Trubisky at the helm. I think the fan base was already shouting for Kenny Pickett to take snaps. They're going to be that way as long as they're playing prevent offense. But like we've seen throughout the league, these veteran guys, even if they're playing prevent offense, it's a lot better then younger guys throwing a lot of interceptions, turning the ball over. And so Pittsburgh's still in a competitive situation. But Ravens, Patriots, Lamar Jackson, of course, the storyline. Mike, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts. It seems like in these situations, the player almost always ends up where they are. They end up where their feet are. They eventually get their money. Do you see, I mean, how likely do you think it is that Lamar Jackson legitimately leaves Baltimore in need of a new quarterback and goes and plays for a team like the Giants or a team like the Panthers or the 49ers or one of the 15 teams that will probably be a potential suitor come this offseason if the Ravens don't pay him before then? Well, I mean, so what the reports are that they offered him $250 million and they didn't feel like enough of that was guaranteed. So let's just let's just guess that they were offering $150 million guaranteed in a $250 million deal. Okay. And again, I could be completely off. Um, but you know, in the media reports, it's something in that neighborhood. Okay. So Lamar Jackson is a guy that is negotiating his own deal. It's been mentioned that his mother is prominent on his negotiating team. Love that. He is doing the work. He is not holding out. He is showing up. He is performing. Doug, I'm going to say it's almost guaranteed that he leaves Baltimore Whoa. because he has rolled the dice big time. And, and so, you know, what, what is Baltimore going to pay a premium versus the open market hmm. when they could have done this earlier on? I, I think that franchise and that, you know, people are going to get fired from that front office over this situation, whether or not they were making the rational. De- and look, I'm on record saying, looking at the numbers, I wouldn't have done it. But this all seems to be, and again, you know, we got a lot more weeks for an injury to happen, you know, fingers crossed. No, but I think he's, I'd be shocked if he stayed. I don't know what is staying. I don't know if staying makes any sense. I mean, what do you think? I don't know. It's just, I can imagine the Baltimore fans who have the Lamar Jackson jerseys. That's their guy. That's their hero. Watching their team turn to some veteran journeyman quarterback next year as Lamar Jackson puts up flashy highlights and leads some other team to the playoffs that would be incredibly frustrating it is it does seem like the type of situation where front office or coach or somebody's getting fired and I feel like the pressure is starting to mount on Baltimore particularly with how Lamar is playing early this season where he's hey. showing that you know maybe last year was because of injury maybe yeah and but is Lamar even willing to talk at this point I mean he he well, that's where I feel like he has a lot of power right now. And I don't know that the Ravens do, or it's like come this offseason, he really is going to get to pick his situation, it seems. And uh-huh. it seems like the money's going to be there. And the Ravens will just be one of many potential situations. And it will be up to him, I think. And so I, you know, I, I know why the Ravens fans are saying, hey, we got to pay him now. Uh, they don't want that to happen. And I almost feel like that's a fandom that is more reliant on one player than a lot of other fan bases in the NFL. Most Ravens fans I know are kind of like Ravens slash Lamar Jackson fans in the same way that old Cleveland Cavaliers fans were LeBron James fans, and they kind of became Miami Heat fans. So from a fandom perspective, too, it's kind of interesting to see, you know, what happens to this Baltimore Ravens, kind of the second biggest fan base in the D.C. metro and surrounding areas. Uh, when your big star, the guy you finally have the big quarterback, when he's out, uh, we'll see what happens. But 
I feel like the pressure's mounting for Baltimore. And if I'm a Ravens fan, I'm getting a little bit nervous that we're going to lose my guy. Because I think fans, they don't necessarily see it the same way where it's like they'd rather lose with their guy than anything else, any other potential outcome. They want their guy. That's my guy. You know, I'm ride or die for him. And Lamar Jackson has that connection with the fan base. Well, and you know the the one phrase that you use that I want to key on, and then we'll move on, is this idea that he's going to be able to pick his own situation. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the key. He's going to change. You know, he's going to change the industry. He's going to have this re- potentially have this really dramatic effect of fully transitioning. You know, we've seen this transition from the NFL into the NBA in some ways. Maybe Lamar Jackson is the, the guy that completes that transition. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Number two. Oh, oh, I didn't see it. I didn't see it, Mike. I didn't see one. I, I didn't see it. Versus Dolphins. Okay, so this is a battle of MVPs. Uh, week one MVP versus week two MVP. Yeah. And, uh, suddenly, this is like the biggest thing, the, 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 the challenge in the AFC East between Tua and Josh Allen. Yeah, who would have thought that we'd be talking about this game in this way? Tua Tungavailoa, zero to hero overnight. That largely, and I'm sure the commentators will talk about that, that largely resembles Josh Allen's career arc. I don't know if you remember, but his first two years, he was an enormous question mark in Buffalo. He threw a lot of interceptions. He was not very efficient. And in that third season, he really turned things around. And, of course, people have likened it to, um, in New York, with Brian Dable taking over, they've likened it to the Giants quarterback situation, saying, hey, Josh Allen turned it around pretty, you know, after some iffy years Maybe our guy will do the same. Well, Tua's seeming, of course, we maybe a lot of people overreacting, but he has seemed to have done that in year three. He's looking that way. I've always been with Tua. My concern has not been his abilities um, or his qualities. I think he's a great leader. I think he's a winner. I've always been concerned about injury with him. He was made of glass in college. He was constantly hurt. And I did not, I was expecting more of an RG3 type career where he's like MVP level when he's healthy, but he's never healthy. And as long as he's healthy, I think that he's going to be on that Josh Allen trajectory of really turning things around in year three. The Bills have looked borderline unstoppable the first two weeks. Josh Allen, man. He is unbelievable. The Bills' defense, they're not talked about enough. It's all about Josh Allen and the playmakers. They have an elite defense. And so, you know, I've got to go with Buffalo in this one, but it will be interesting to see how Tua responds to such a huge week, too, and if he can keep the momentum going. Doug is a believer. Okay, and, you know, I I, I, I made a little bit of a technical error and revealed my number one already. But, you know, looking at what number one is, you know, we could have circled this at the beginning of the season, right? I mean, we've got the Bucs and the oh. Packers. We've got Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers. This is this is what the NFL's about, right? These two sort of, you know, the, the squeaky clean greatest of all time versus the the rebel that is probably just as talented as the GOAT. You know, this is never going to disappoint, right? And, you know, I think it's the Sunday night game, the Bucks versus the Packers. I think football fans would love to see this be the NFC Championship um, every year. Just it's two goats. And Tom, of course, started the season. He, he started off with a couple wins here. I believe they're 2-0. and I know they won this week, but it was looking like they were going to lose and there was a fight and Tom was throwing stuff on the sideline. He kind of gets the benefit of the doubt with the media. That's the kind of thing if Justin Fields were doing that. I think people would say, hey, he doesn't have leadership qualities. He doesn't have mental stamina. At this point, Tom Brady, he can do whatever he wants. People are like, hey, that's just fiery competitor right there. That's just a good thing. That's a good quality. Doug, wouldn't you love to be in a position where you can't even start a fight because literally every player on your sideline and the coaches, they will die for you. You and the other team. They will die for you. Tom Brady had no fear in that situation. Um, And on the flip side, you know, with the Packers, Aaron Rodgers, Mike, you called it. You nailed it. It it was the most obvious bet in betting history that Aaron Rodgers was going to go out there and manhandle the Chicago Bears, regardless of how bad he looked in week one, regardless of the Bears winning week one and the Packers not looking so hot. We saw that coming. You nailed that one. And 
Justin Fields, ouch. I mean, you know, I looked it up. I, I, I want to look it up oh. again. I want to double check it. Through 11 seven, passes. Seven for 11 for 70 yards, one interception and no touchdowns. I, I mean, I, I'm yeah. like, I watched the first half and went to sleep, but it's like this, that seemed like it was just the first half statistics. Well, um, the stat line wow. is such a head scratcher in today's NFL to have your quarterback passing the ball 11 times and there's been questions to okay do they not trust fields to throw the ball um which was you know early on at georgia that seemed to be the case where he ran it a lot and everyone's like hey isn't this guy an elite passer why aren't we passing the ball with him they're like well he doesn't know you know he might not understand the nuances of the offense or whatever and then he goes in ohio state and they open it up and turns out he's a phenomenal passer um i I don't know that if there's distrust in the offensive line i know that the bears have not had a great offensive line and we saw Fields take some sacks and turn the ball over quite a bit last year because of that. But man, in today's NFL, if you're throwing the ball 11 times, you're not going to win. And with Justin Fields last season, the thinking was this is a Georgia situation where, you know, they're going to get a new coaching staff. It's going to be like Ohio State. But he went from a situation where he was throwing the ball to a situation where it seems like he's not really throwing the ball. He was most productive on the ground with his legs, obviously showing off that running ability on his touchdown run. And Justin Fields is probably feeling like the victim of yet another situation. I I'm surprised the media is not talking about this one more like, Hey, you know, why, why does this guy always end up in situations where they don't just let him play football? They don't let him do what he's good at. And maybe it's because he's not that good at it in the NFL, or maybe it's inept coaching. I don't know. But all I do know is that bears fans have got to be incredibly frustrated, particularly going into that Packers game with so much hope. Like we talked about last week. And to have that go down with the Packers, I mean, it's, yeah. you know, I mean, they absolutely, you know, I've got family from Chicago and they, Aaron Rodgers is the most hated man in that city. We'll leave it there. Okay, Doug. So we'll, uh, looking at the clock, we are about at the end of this episode of the podcast. You know, as always, there's more content at www.fandomanalytics.com. Uh, major point of emphasis over the fall and late summer is this next generation fandom survey. Uh, I'm throwing up one slide and it's, um, you know, in some ways it's, it's an interesting slide. So the, the slide I'm show, I'm, I'm throwing up, if you're looking at it in one of the visual outlets, uh, you can see it. It's, uh, it's a look at male versus female fandom in the spring of 2022. And, you know, just so the, the key numbers here for, for men, the rate of fandom is 51%. The rate of sports apathetic, so people that have no interest in sports, 14%. For the female respondents, it's 27% fans, 31% uh, apathetics. So the number of, uh, you know, th- there's still... It, well, I, mean, you know, like, I, want, I don't want to get your quick reaction to this. We don't have a, a ton of time. And I think over the last few years, there's been a major emphasis on trying to include everyone in the world of sports. But the data suggests that sports fandom still tends to be a male activity. Are you surprised at all, Doug? I'm a little bit surprised. I would love to see from year to year how this looks. But to me, it seems like there's less male interest than there used to be. And I don't know that that means necessarily there's more female interest than there used to be, but it doesn't seem as dominant a part of male culture in America as it once was. Not so well, even, even that number of 51% does strike me as a little pretty low. Point. Yeah. So that's pretty low. But the, I mean, I think the sport for the 14% apathetic seems low to me because I meet a lot of guys. I mean, a lot of guys that. My my growing up, my way of in the South, my way of making friends has always been like, oh, who do you pull for? You know, what's your team? You can always talk that talk. And there's so few people that I connect with on that level. It's they had to find other things now. But it seems like more than 14% are apathetic. So I would imagine the people that say they have some interest, there might be some kind of social pressure where they're identifying yeah. as having some interest, even though they actually have no interest. They yeah. have no knowledge or understanding. I'm sort of into it, but I don't watch anything, right? Yeah, Just like, the- oh, I'm kind of a sports guy. Like, I played Little League, you know? Um, I think there's probably a lot of that. So I actually think the sports apathetics uh, amongst the males would be higher. It's probably about accurate for the female uh, population. And, you know, female sports fans, there are... I, I don't know. I, I'm not as well studied I mean, on that. 
let me uh, let me sort of interrupt you in here and say like so that's the raw number and you know sort of put some of these graphs out there as a little bit of a tease later this week I'll publish the full report on male versus female fandom as usual Doug you're asking the right questions of looking at how things are changing year to year now I'm going to be honest with you year to year changes I'm not comfortable with that because COVID was such a weird time. Yeah, you know, it's almost still got stuff to kind of uh, settle down. But where the male-female story gets particularly interesting is if you look at how fandom varies across sports. And like I said, we'll put a lot of that stuff out on the web in the coming weeks and maybe even do a special edition of the podcast. Um, so, you know, as always, folks, a lot more content at www.fandomanalytics. Doug, we are running overtime. Anything else you want to mention? Canelo versus Triple G, a four, uh, seven mile line to see the queen lying in state. Um, you know, there's always these kind of maybe maybe that's a good one. The queen for this kind of uh, our, our our feature on sort of the craziest fandom each week. Yeah, that is a fandom that. Uh was a sleeping giant apparently because I didn't hear much about the queen until recently. And now I, I didn't realize so many people I know were such fans of the queen. So, uh, long live the queen. Um, or I guess King. Rest, King. <laughs> yeah. Okay um, guys, we're clearly out of our wheelhouse. So we'll wrap it <laughs> there until next week. Thanks for listening. <laughs>